I had a professor not too long ago that um, made mention of the fact that there is something very special about the fact that in this parable there's a famine going on. We need to think through it a little carefully. And so that's what I want us to do tonight. But we're going to start in the Old Testament. Let's start first with just sort of a, you know, just a general definition. We all know what a famine is. But if you're looking for just the, the textbook or just the general definition, a famine is a widespread scarcity of food caused by several factors. Could be war, natural disasters, crop failure, widespread poverty, economic catastrophe, these kinds of things. And this phenomenon is usually accompanied uh, by or followed by malnutrition, starvation, epidemic, increased mortality, ugly stuff. And famine, if you look through Scripture, this is one of those things you might not have realized if you don't stop and sort of step back and look. Famine is used and referred to and talked about over and over and over again in Scripture. It's a very, very common experience for God's people, and it's a very common just theme. So even when there's times when it hasn't been experienced, famine is brought up and mentioned and emphasized because it, it very did often happen. And it was very often threatened, and it was always remembered. When they had gone through a famine, there'd be times they looked back and said, remember these days. And so we know it as, you know, crop failure, lack of rain, all of that. It's hard to think about famines on a day like today right here in this place where we're so blessed. You know, rain today, sunshine today, all of the beautiful things that, that go along with it just being one of those picturesque kinds of afternoons. Uh, so it's difficult to really get that image in your mind of what the ugliness of famine would be. Um, but be turning in your Bibles to 1 Kings 8. Because here's what we're going to start to see. We're going to read three passages in the Old Testament, starting in 1 Kings 8. And what we're going to see is that when famine is brought up in Scripture, a few different things are happening. A famine can be seen as, obviously, op oftentimes a punishment. Famine is a divine punishment. But also, Scripture is going to depict famine as an opportunity. Now, that, that might sound strange, but if you'll continue to think through this and see what Scripture says, says you'll realize that that's the case. It's not only punishment. It's not always punishment. Famine is sometimes opportunity to do something great, to do something for the Lord. Because what happens, and you know this, this is sort of a, a side note, but it goes along with what's happening with drought and famine. Suffering offers us an opportunity. Suffering offers us, this door is opened up for us to, to repent of the direction we've been going. It offers us an opportunity to change our, our mindset. It offer, offers an opportunity to change what we focus on and what we deem to be really, really important. And so, obviously, I think you can see that you can sort of replace that that term famine with some hardship that you're in, with some difficult spot that you find yourself in. And in this time, you don't have to say, well, this is necessarily the hand of God coming down upon me and punishing me for my sins. No, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity to, to grow, to mature, to change what's important, to change your perspective, and be someone who is drawn into the presence of our holy and awesome God. So let's read together 1 Kings 8. In 1 Kings 8, this is when the temple is being uh, opened, utilized. The ark has been brought, and, and King Solomon is going to be praying this incredible prayer, asking for God's blessings to, 
to be there with them, uh, to oversee and to bless the, the actions that will be involved with what's happening at the temple. Start reading with me in verse 33. So 1 Kings 8, 33. Let's just read several lines here. 1 Kings 8, 33. So the king says to the Father in heaven, when your people Israel are defeated before the enemy, well, why would they be defeated? Because they've sinned against you. And if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to their fathers. Or when heaven is shut up, you know what that means? It's sort of like the, the faucet has been permanently turned off and there's no more rain coming out of heaven. There's no more water coming down from the skies above. When heaven is shut up and there's no rain because they've sinned against you, if they pray towards this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you've given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemy besieges them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing the affliction of his own heart, stretching out his hands towards this house, then here's the petition of the king for the people. Then hear in heaven, hear us up in your dwelling place and forgive and act and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways for you and you only know the hearts of all the children of mankind that they may fear you all the days that they live in the land that you gave to the fathers to our fathers so here's the king saying should we find ourselves in a time of famine should we find ourselves in a time of drought should we find ourselves in that time when things are hard for us when we're suffering my prayer, my prayer, first of all, is that what we will do is pray. My desire, my goal, my wish, my dream is that when we find ourselves in that terrible spot, that what we will do is fall to our knees and come to you, Father. And then when we do, what we're counting on you to do is see us and hear us and restore us, build us up and lift us up and bring us back. The famine would offer an opportunity for repentance and for change. Go to the prophet Amos. Amos. This is a, a passage in uh, this minor prophet that I think of on a, on a fairly uh, regular basis that uh, is speaking for God here. God is going to say, I'm using these things to bring my holy name glory. And you've got to see it and recognize it and turn and change rather than wallowing and staying there where you are. So read with me in Amos chapter 4. We'll begin at verse 6. Amos 4, 6. Because I love the phraseology. I love the poetry, the imagery here. Because it sounds so unusual. It even sounds just, you know, rather unique. But all the imagery is terrible. Here's the first one. I gave you cleanness of teeth. I don't know, I might see the Nevilles have this up over their door as you go in. Maybe uh, the Burrises as well, right? I gave you cleanness of teeth. He's not saying I gave you a discount or 
you have special um, privileges when you came in. Didn't give you a token to go to the... This is terrible. He says, I gave you cleanness of teeth. Your teeth were clean because you had nothing to eat. There was nothing to get stuck in them because there was nothing to eat. I gave you cleanness of teeth in all your cities and the lack of bread in all your places, expecting then for them to fall on their knees and cry out to the, the giver of bread, the giver of the water of life. He says, but you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. I withheld the rain from you. When there were yet three months to the harvest, I would send rain on, rain on one city, but no rain on another city. One field have rain, and the field in which it didn't rain, it would wither up. Two or three cities would wander to another city to drink water and would not be satisfied. The expectation is, so then you would cry out to me for water. He says, yet you didn't return to me. Verse 9, I struck you with blight and mildew. Your many gardens and your vineyards, your fig trees and your olive trees, the locusts were devoured. Yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. I sent among you a pestilence after the manner of Egypt. I killed your young men with the sword, carried away your horses. I made the stench of your camp go up into your nostrils. Yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. I overthrew some of you as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. And you were as a brand plucked out of the burning, yet you didn't return to me, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus I will do to you, O Israel, because I will do this to you. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel. For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what is his thought, who makes the morning darkness and treads the heights of the earth, the Lord, the God of hosts, the, guard, the God who leads the armies, that is his name. There was the expectation that in that time of, of pain, in that time of suffering, that what they would do would be turn to him evermore. Stop being selfish, stop being short-sighted, and turn to him. Last one, go to Deuteronomy 11. I said three Old Testament passages. Here's the third one, Deuteronomy 11. Deuteronomy 11, let's read together starting at 13. Deuteronomy eleven thirteen. I hope that you're seeing in this, we're covering what we might call the, the span of the Old Testament. Reading one passage from a, a minor prophet, reading another passage from the book of Kings, which is dealing with the history of Israel. And now we're going to read a passage from the book of the law, the first five books of Moses. And so we've sort of covered the span of Scripture there in the Old Testament. In other words, the point is, God routinely, God regularly, God over the centuries, again and again and again, said, I'm going to use famine to teach you a lesson. And so when this is sent, what you should do is come to me, run back to me, turn to me. Deuteronomy 11, starting in 13. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart. Oh, that's 18. Let's read in 13, like I said. How about that? If you will indeed obey my commandments that I command you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart, with all your soul, he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early rain and the later rain, that you may gather in your grain and your wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields and your livestock, and you shall eat and be full. 16. Take care lest your heart be deceived, and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens. Again, that imagery of turning the faucet off, as it were. So that there will be no rain, and the land will yield no fruit, 
and you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord is giving you. Again and again, he uses this imagery to tell us the same thing. And so for us today, there's not the imagery of us being moved from one location and across a river into a promised land. But the idea, the lesson remains the same. What he's calling for us to do is that if you should find yourself in that spot of famine, he's pleading with you, don't get bitter. Don't walk away. Don't give up. Turn back to him and plead with him for help. Because what God is going to do again and again and again is he's going to use famines, as it were, to move people, to get them to go from one place to another. And so when he's doing this literally, now hear me, when God literally makes people get up from one spot and go to another, when the famine strikes and say, well, we got to leave here and go somewhere else, the lasting principle, the biblical principle that, that carries down to this minute today is this. When the famine hits and it means you got to call out to God, sometimes that means he's getting you to move getting you to go somewhere else, to do something else, to stop doing the same thing. You know, what's the definition of insanity? But continuing to do the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different result. Well, sometimes God says, go somewhere else, do something else. Just, just flipping through the pages of Genesis, it was a famine that drove Abraham to Egypt. It was a famine that drove Isaac to the land of the Philistines. It was a famine that drove Jacob back to Egypt. It was, as you open up the book of Ruth, it was a famine that drove Naomi's family into Moab. And there they find Ruth and the others who would then become a part of the family of Jesus. It was incredible. So God was using these famines to move people. So to recap before we look at the New Testament, God very often used famine for punishment. He told them, you go to idols, faucets turned off, famine's coming. But God very, very often used famine as an opportunity to demonstrate repentance he used famine as an opportunity to demonstrate trust in God. Remember, this was the thing. Remember when Jesus is tempted in the wilderness and Satan says, well, hey, look, I know you're 40 days hungry, so what you should do is turn these stones into bread. And then Jesus denounced Satan and his temptation of, of doing that because the idea was, you're not going to tempt me to do that. I'm going to glorify God in all that I do. Plus, remember, man's not going to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. In other words, God's telling Israel way back in those days when they were wandering in the wilderness and he kept giving them what they needed, he was going to say, I sustain you. I give you what you need. You live based upon my will and my word and my desire and my love. And so it's an opportunity in the famine, in the time of suffering, to demonstrate trust. That even though we might be confused and we might be in such pain that we don't know which foot to put forward and which way to go, but we're going to say, but Lord, I trust you. I trust you before I trust myself. I trust you, and I'm going to live on your word rather than just on bread alone. But also, this famine is also an opportunity just simply to rethink things, to rethink what it is that I've thought was important, to rethink what it is that I thought was the end-all, be-all, to rethink what I thought my goals were, and to finally move to a place of recognizing that where I need to be is in the Father's house. And so that's what brings us to Luke 15. Luke 15, prodigal son. We know it well. We've studied it millions of times. And if the Lord allows us to, we'll study it one million more. So powerful, so vivid, so clear. Teaches so many things about who we are and where we stand before God and the way that we often treat God, but the way that he continues to show us grace and patience and love and mercy. 
continues to keep the door open, longing for us to run home to him. But look here in Luke 15. It's, it's in this parable that uh, we sometimes don't give enough attention to what's said in verse 14. Because we know the story. The young man comes to his father and says, look, I'm unconcerned about your name, your reputation, your life. I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance now, and I'll just go and be on my way, and we can just both live as if you were dead. How's that sound? And he gives him his portion of the inheritance, and the young man goes away. And in short order, in short order, it says, not many days later, he gathers his things up, goes into a far country of sin, and squanders the property in reckless living. And in verse 14, so Luke 15, 14, he spent everything, and when he had done that, when he spent his last dime, here's what comes rolling in, a famine. A severe famine arose in that country, and he is in need. He goes and hires himself out to work with pigs, longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate. But there's this, this haunting, horrible line, but no one gave him anything. He's in a famine. He's got no money left. He's got no friends. He's got nothing. No one would give him anything. So we ask ourselves as we reflect back on it, what is it that's put himself in this position? How did he find himself penniless and friendless in a pig pen? How did he do this? What led him here? Well, the very simple answer is his rejection of the father is what put him here. The son has squandered everything. Not only the money, but also goodwill. He's burned bridges in every direction he's looked. And so when this famine comes, he's got nobody but the pigs to keep him company. Now, I want you to note something here. Something that I hadn't thought much about and am thinking more about right here and right now with you. The significant aspect is not the location. The far country. Remember, I hear that a lot. Growing up, that's what you hear a lot. Often the far country of sin. And that is a good way to describe it. When you leave the Father's house and you go off and you're living alone and living selfishly, that is rightfully described as the far country of sin. But it, the location is not necessarily where the, the famine is going to be, right? Because what does Jesus say in, the, in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount? The Father sends the rain on the just and the unjust. He sends the sunshine on the good and the evil. Famines can show up anywhere. Amen? You don't have to be in the far country of sin to experience a famine. You can be a God-fearing, church-going, Bible-loving, hymn-singing individual and find yourself in a famine. And so it's not just that he had left the Father's house that the famine struck. It was to prove a point. Here, This is a parable anyway, right? But here's what I want you to think through. The famine can happen anywhere. The lack of rain can occur in far countries and the lack of rain can occur in this father's field. The difference is not in the power of the famine. Here's the point of the whole thing. The difference is in the presence of the father. Far away in that famine, he had nothing but the pigs to keep him company. Nobody gave him anything. Penniless, friendless, he's got nothing. He's alone. And in this famine, he says, he comes to this realization, I will die here. Because when you're separated from the Father and you go through a famine, you will die unless you go home. 
So hear that right here, right now. If you are separated from the Father, if you have left the Father's house and you find yourself in a famine, the answer is go home. The answer is come back to the Father. Practically speaking, that means repent of your sins and plead with the Father to mercifully forgive. The good news is, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says if we will confess our sins, the Father is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Praise God that that is true. So if you find yourself in the far country and there's a famine, go home. But it could be the case that you are home and a famine strikes. You've sought with all that's humanly possible to be righteous. Like Job. It said of Job that he was the most righteous man in all the East, and yet still he had all that rain down upon him. The idea is, if the famine falls in the father's fields, he has the resources stocked up. He has a crew ready to work. And he then is willing and generous and kind to share the resources with his sons. Isn't that great? The famine can strike anywhere. The question is, when I'm there, will I turn to the Father? Whether that's going, coming home from far away, or if I'm right there close by, will I turn to Him? Or will I use the famine as an excuse to run away? Because when the famine falls on that sun that's far from home, there's no storehouse, there's only a swine, or many swine. It's the presence of the Father that makes all of the difference. The presence of the Father is the difference between a son being sent to the storehouse or a son being sent to the swine. Imagine in a time of, of, of calamity, a time of, of famine, the father's able to say, son, go to the storehouse and bring in what we need for the night, as opposed to the son being there with pigs and saying, well, what do we do tonight? Just lay down and die. Times of famine are unavoidable in a sick and sinful world. Sometimes it's, it's just a lack of rain. But oftentimes it's, it's financial droughts. When the days of the month outlast the dollars in the bank. Other times it's famines of energy when we don't have the strength to, to take another step alone. Other times it's emotional drought when present circumstances have just drained every drop of happiness from our present life. And so in such times we might think, well, what difference does it make between the far country and the Father's house. If the famine can come to either place, why cling to the Father's house? Why not just wallow in the mud? Why not just roll over and die? Well, here's why. Because our Father is wise and powerful and generous, and He is unlimited in the most precious resource of all, His love. The younger son had squandered their property. The younger son had spent everything, it says in verse 14. And yet, even with that being the case of squandering property, spending everything, it still says in verses 22 and 23 that the father was willing and able. I think that's a key. The father's not just willing to throw a party. The father is able to lavish this son who's returned home with many goods. The robe, the ring, the shoes, the, the party, all of it. Because you see, evidently, the, the image here is the father didn't run out. The Father was able to continue to replenish and restore and give and bless. The storehouses of the Father's presence, the storehouses of the Father's love, sometimes may not prevent us from facing a famine, but it sustains us through the famine. I want you to remember this. 
The next time you find yourself, whether it's the far country or wherever you might be and you face yourself, find yourself in a famine, according to the blessings of God's Word, the famine never has the last word. God does. The difference, the final back-breaking, final straw difference is not in the famine, it's in the Father. And so let me encourage you, if you find yourself in a place that is dried up, the faucet's been turned off and the, the fields are not being watered and all of those things, and it's just hard, the answer is not to roll over and lay there with the swine and give up. The answer is to turn to the Father who is unlimited in the resources that we need in love and mercy and grace. And He's begging you. He's begging you to turn to Him. He's begging you to use your famine as a time that you repent and grow and turn to the One who can help and restore. And so we're calling on you to do that even this minute while together we stand and sing.